Body image can be agonizing for so many people. How do you feel about your body? Are you happy with it? Do you want to tweak it? Are you empowered by it? Or even neutral about it? We live in a society where wellness is the epitome of our health. But have we got this perception wrong? Are we living within a culture where we have mixed up our perception of health with our understanding of how well we truly are? It was very much seen, and still is in, in, to an extent, seen as a vanity issue, you know, rather than an actual psychological disorder. The reality of eating disorders is so far removed from glamour, the least glamorous things ever, but it's so true, it is glamorised. And I think I grew up in a really diet culture heavy environment, that there was a real strong focus on thinness and anti-fatness. After struggling with various eating disorders, Alex's virtual platform transformed from a beauty and fashion blog with around 40,000 followers into a platform of over 500,000 people who really engaged and related to her personal struggles around diet culture, body confidence, fighting beauty standards, and generally helping women to feel better about themselves. After a long and tiring recovery, Alex is now dedicated to providing a safe space for anyone in the grips of an eating disorder or bad body image and has written a Sunday Times best-selling book, You Are Not a Before Picture. I do really want to highlight this episode does contain topics including eating disorders and sensitive issues surrounding body weight and image, which could be triggering for some individuals. Alex, welcome to Live Well, Be Well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to chat to you. I'm good. I've got a bit of a cold. I feel like everyone does now. My nephew goes to nursery now and I see him all the time. So now I just feel like I pick up whatever he has. So I'm just like constantly full of cold. Anyway, but I'm fine. <laughs> I mean, I love how cheerful you are and you've got a cold. That's brilliant. <laughs> how are you doing? I'm really good. I'm really excited actually to have this conversation with you today because one, this is a topic that's just really close to my heart personally, a bit about my journey and the charity that I set up. So I think you are such an amazing inspiration just to every woman out there about your honesty, your authenticity, because I think body image is something that every woman agonizes with. So thank you just first of all for just being so honest and vulnerable and authentic in sharing your story because you're an inspiration to so many women. So I just wanted to say that before Aww. we even kicked things off. Thank you. That's lovely. Thank you. So the first question I ask all my guests, and I think this is probably going to link into your personal journey, but what have you changed your mind about in the last 10 years? I love this because I think changing our minds as humans is like one of the best things that we can do. It's difficult to change our minds, isn't it? It kind mm. of induces a lot of dissonance, like cognitive dissonance, because you're like, suddenly like everything I've believed for so long, I've got to now like lean in the other way. And I think that is something for me that was really big because obviously I suffered for so long with eating disorders and disordered eating. And I felt like I needed to be thin. I felt above all else that I needed to be thin in order to be happy and in order to be worthy and successful and desirable and lovable, I believed that I needed to be thin. And that belief kind of got shattered 
and I had to change my mind about that and it was really painful because I dedicated so much of my life and my time and capacity and commitment to something that just actually didn't mean anything so that was a really big one for me change my mind about what makes up our value and our worth I love that I think our purpose and our values obviously is such a huge definition of who we are and I think so many times if we ask oneself that not many of us actually know and some of us can really struggle to really pinpoint what that is and I think it's a huge journey and as you said that growth mindset is such a powerful tool even though it's a frightening tool at the same time and that brings me on to just your really powerful story now I know that so many people are inspired by you and your book that you've written and everything you post about social media and how you write. But for anyone that doesn't know you and your story, would you be able to just give us a bit of the journey of your story? Yeah, of course. So my history is very dominated by disordered eating initially and eating disorders and negative body image. Growing up, I was like chubby. I'd say like that was that's the right word to describe it because I wasn't fat, but I also wasn't thin. I was chubby and I was acutely aware of this. I think it's around sort of six that girls become aware of their body image. And I was just aware that it wasn't the ideal. I felt like I started to absorb messages that like thin was good and fat was bad. And those messages, I mean, you know, they're ubiquitous, those messages, they're literally everywhere. So I really started to absorb that and believe that. And that felt really at odds with my own body, which wasn't thin. Mm. So from there on out, really, that was then a battle to just try and manipulate my body and lose weight which meant that I tried every diet under the damn sun, literally, you name it, I have tried it. Everything, absolutely everything. Some ridiculous ones, some ones I bought, like I got from a book or picked up from a magazine or whatever. And actually I kind of, I dieted myself up like higher to a higher weight because that's often what happens when, mm -hmm. when you know, through dieting, you not only don't lose weight, <laughs> you know, you don't have sustainable weight loss, but you actually end up gaining more weight than in the first place so I really struggled with that throughout until I was around 20 and then I got a job at Hello Magazine and I was then in the fashion industry obviously in the fashion industry like thinness is glorified more so than anywhere else you know and fat fatness is really vilified it's the epitome of evil in the fashion industry which is really sad but that kind of compounded everything that i already felt and that i already thought that i knew and eventually the dieting kind of morphed into an eating disorder and i just got thinner and thinner and thinner and started eating less and less and less and really just descended into anorexia. I always find this difficult because then I'd like to say, you know, and then I got help and like I got better, but that wasn't really the case. I got help and then my anorexia morphed into bulimia and then ultimately it morphed into binge eating disorder. And that was a real battle for probably about eight years where I was sort of battling these eating disorders. And it was actually really through social media and finding people that were talking about eating disorders and talking about body image and talking about not fitting into the thin ideal and that being okay. And my mind was like blown, absolutely blown. I remember discovering Iskra Lawrence, who was kind of one of the first, like the OG plus size models, even though now she's probably not considered plus size, but 
at the time, having seen, having grown up with, you know, the 90s heroin chic, you know, th like you have to be as literally as thin as you possibly can be. It yeah. still felt really like confronting. It was really life changing for me. And and I started to explore diet culture and the myth that thinness is what women have to be. And it went from there, really. And I had an Instagram account at the time. I had like about 40,000 followers and I posted about fashion and beauty. But this was before editing apps were available, I think. And I actually used the, I learned how to use the liquify tool on Photoshop to edit my body and like make my waist thinner and give myself a proper like sharp jawline and edit my legs and extensive work that I would do to these images to put them out. And at some point I just realized like, this is such a stark contrast. And so at odds with what I'm starting to learn and my now changing beliefs around this. So I kind of pivoted on my account then to, to talk about weight and eating and the, the struggles that I've been through. I did it really gradually and I kind of just dipped my toe in at first and the response was overwhelming because eating disorders, as you will know, especially back then, like even probably just five years ago, they were so shrouded in shame and stigma and secrecy and it was very much seen and still is in, in to an extent seen as a vanity issue you know rather than an actual psychological disorder and i felt ashamed i never told anyone and no one i didn't i never saw anyone talking about it and when i actually spoke about it the response was just like it was I was completely just gobsmacked by it. There was so many people and people I knew as well, people I'd known for a really long time. You know, we'd probably talked about our diets together, like what diets were we on, but we'd never discussed that actually we were going through something much more sinister. And I was I was like, this is, this is something that needs talking about. Like, how are we not talking about this? Because it's affecting so many people and it's really, really affect, like impacting so many lives for some it's just it's completely debilitating so i feel like i went on a, a real tangent but in a roundabout in a nutshell like that's how then i came to like do what i do now it was all like it was all very gradual but it all just seemed to make sense and i just became really passionate about it um when i i realized and, and learned about diet culture and realized that actually i had just been feeding like lining the pockets of people who were profiting off of my insecurities and me feeling bad about myself. And so it all just kind of slotted into place, I suppose. I have so many questions to follow on and I'm kind of trying to figure out which way I go. But just first, thank you for so much for sharing that because I know that you're so honest and authentic in how you speak, but I think that's one of the hardest things to do, especially around this topic, is to actually speak honestly about how you feel and what you went through and even describing emotions is so difficult in that time because so many of these things can feel so overwhelming and I love that you touched that it was a mental health disorder because it is it's a mental health illness and so many of us look at anorexia nervosa and think well that's the eating disorder but it's not there's you mentioned so many other ones there bulimia binge eating disorder binge eating disorder is such a serious mental illness which is shadowed with a huge amount of shame and it's one of the leading eating disorders. And I think lots of us can use that terminology quite tongue in cheek, but it's actually a very serious eating disorder. And it's 
really interesting that, you know, I've come from the fashion industry as well. And I, I relate so much to how you reference that. And I think that's the acute kind of area of an eating disorder where you kind of everyone around you is aware of it, but it's kind of cool in that scenario, which is even more worrying. And I think that's what's the kind of scary part. Whereas if we're outside of that and maybe in more reality of day-to-day life, it's less glamorized. Um, And I think even hearing that you came from that and then doing what you're doing now, it's just, it's such a huge kind of courageous step that you took because you came from such a glamorized part of it. You know what I mean? If if that makes sense of how I'm trying to to relay them across. Yeah, and it's so weird that in the fashion industry, it's not just normalized, but you're right, it's totally glamorized. And the reality of eating disorders is so far removed from glamour. Like it's it's one of the most horrendous, the least glamorous things ever, but it's so true, it is glamorized. It's cool to not eat all day and it's cool to to starve yourself. Like it's just, it's. It, I guess it was part and part of the fashion industry. Like I'm not in it anymore. I would like to think that things have changed. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure they have, but it was very sinister at the time for sure. You obviously mentioned around the age of six, people and young women and, and young men, I don't want to isolate men from this conversation, start to become aware of their bodies. But for you, obviously the fashion industry was, it was a big sector, but before then, before coming into the fashion industry, you know, was it like a cocktail mixture of, of things that kind of you think built up to this idealistic body image? Or could you kind of pinpoint certain moments? Like what for you do you think led you to that point of anorexia and then obviously bulimia and, and binge eating? What was the was journey like? So I think there's a degree of susceptibility, isn't there? You know, susceptibility to eating disorders. And I kind of fit the bill for like someone who would be susceptible. Like I'm very all or nothing perfectionist. And I think I grew up in a really diet culture heavy environment that there was a real strong focus on thinness and anti-fatness. So that played an enormous part, I, I, I think, in this all developing and then just being subject to the messaging of the 90s which you'll know is like absolutely brutal. Do you remember when Victoria Beckham was shown on the Chris Tarrant show that she had to go and weigh herself? That was in the yeah. 90s post having a baby. Like all of those things were so normalised in the 90s, the crop top era, all of that. Yeah, so normal. That, for example, that was crazy. Victoria Beckham being weighed, and I think it was eight weeks after giving birth and she was I think they were like just below eight stone and he said like that's not bad is it and everyone like cheered and clapped her it's horrifying absolutely horrifying and he did the same to Jerry Halliwell who obviously as we now know had an eating disorder like suffered really badly and that is just like two examples of so much so much that we were subject to it went completely unquestioned and unchallenged because humans are just really good at that as well like good at just going along with the status quo and not questioning stuff and challenging stuff and I'm the worst at that as well I find that really difficult and like engaging in critical thinking it's like a skill that you have to learn and cultivate because it doesn't necessarily come naturally to us and that's the thing like you know people say like, oh, I'm upset at myself for like not recognizing this stuff before and I'm like it's not it's no it's not your fault it's absolutely not your fault we've just grown up in a really toxic environment around our weight and especially women's weight and it's just become normalized and it's a lot of conditioning and we now have to embark on that like deconditioning process. Which is a journey as well, isn't it? 
want to tell you about my secret weapon that has become my savior in recent months. All plants deliver delicious, healthy, plant-based, chef-made meals to your door, which are ready to heat and eat when you need them. Their dishes contain at least two of your five a day, and some even four of your five a day. My personal favorite is the miso and tamari tofu bowl, which also won a great taste award this year. All plants are also Europe's largest plant-based kitchen, which isn't a surprise when you see their fantastic variety of meals. Head to allplants.com to order and subscribe for your first order, and you can save a whopping 25% off when using the code LWBW. All plants save me time and have been a huge savior in making sure I stay healthy even when busy. And I hope they can for you too. Make sure you use the code LWBW for 25% off. You speak a lot about your recovery and recovery isn't linear. It's not this straight line where you meet these criteria and then all of a sudden you're fine. Eh? Recovery in, in any situation, in any mental health condition or addiction or whatever it is that you're recovering from is always a journey. And there's mm. always going to be pitfalls and moments of doubt and worry and, and maybe relapse. So how do you still deal with that? How do you still deal with the recovery process? Because do you still feel that it's something that you always have to just kind of check in with and make sure that you're still aware of obviously your journey and what happened? I find this one difficult to answer. And I think I think it boils down to what you said. We can't think about it in binary terms, recovery, because it isn't like I was ill and now I'm better. Like it just doesn't work like that. And and I really thought that for a long time because I felt like the narrative around eating disorders in social media or in books or whatever, like anything, any stories I had consumed around eating disorders went along those lines of, I was sick, girl gets sick, girl gets help, girl gets better. And that then created a standard for me that I was then failing to, another standard that I was failing to live up to, which was like ultimately taking away from me. And I think that's just what I try and tap into at all times is compassion, self-compassion, which is something that we're not taught to do at all, which can be very, very difficult to do, but it's vital. And I think it's a thing that underpins recovery and not just recovery from an eating disorder, but recovery from disordered eating, from just having negative body image, from uh, being a chronic dieter. There are definitely bad days still. I have like some not so good days, but I think what's different now is that those bad days, I used to spiral and I, I know it, it would turn into, it would kind of snowball and turn into something bigger. Whereas now, like, I feel like I allow myself the space to just sit with it for a bit and have the compassion for myself. And I always imagine it in my head as like falling over and then getting back up now is just, is a lot easier and a lot quicker. I tend to find that it's actually unrelated to my body. It's more if, if I've got any stresses in my life or my mental health isn't great, like that's my go-to, you know, that's, you know, my body is kind of my form of 
self-punishment I suppose and that's my go-to so I really have to look out for that and, and catch myself and I think that probably be the case for a lot of people is like that's where we turn our, our energy and attention to and that's how we channel it which is so sad because obviously our bodies just don't deserve that in any way and I always feel so cheesy like when I harp on about it but I just think that it's the most the most important thing that we can do for ourselves is to tap into that completely because you mentioned the word punishment and it is the self-sabotage element I think we can really pull ourselves back from and not actually realize we're doing that to ourselves and you kind of think that we deserve that and we give ourselves such a hard time it's really amazing hearing you say I still struggle I still wake up because I think there's that human-centric approach to anyone you're always going to have catastrophic thoughts or negative self-doubt however positive you are we all are human and I think that's something that's really important is to recognize that even though every day we're maybe looking at somebody on social media those people are still having really doubtful days and it's just how they get through that and I think that's not always communicated enough and you know a lot of people say like I've read your book I've implemented these things like I know now that I don't need to be thin, that thinness isn't everything. And I know all of this rationally. And yet I still have these days where that I just don't, I can't make myself believe that. Again, coming back to compassion, because you can do this work until you're blue in the face. Like you, you can practice it day in, day out. But at the end of the day, we still live in a diet culture and we still live in a society. It's changing, I think, for the better. I, I really believe that. But we do live in a society where those values aren't reflected back at us and where thinness still reigns. So that's at odds with what we're doing privately. And that has to be reconciled. And that's very difficult for us. So I think it just has to be taken step by step and with a hefty dose of grace and kindness. Absolutely, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's just recognizing. I think the check-in with yourself is, is really important. And I think for anyone listening to this, hearing the term diet culture, they might not have heard about that before. And obviously you've written this amazing book, which really pinpoints so many areas of this, but I'd love to hear from you like your own words. Like how would you define diet culture for anyone who's never heard of this terminology before or anyone who's new to this like how would you describe what diet culture is christy harrington who's a dietitian nutritionist she has the best definition for this which is a set of beliefs whereby thinness is the best thing that a human can achieve and thinness is going to be the thing that unlocks your happiness. It's, it's going to you know, unlock this nirvana and it's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You achieve thinness, you're going to unlock all these things that humans crave, which, you know, contentment and desirability and lovability and success. And this belief, which is very pervasive in our culture, this belief then feeds the diet industry, which is this... I think it's currently $192.2 billion industry, predominantly targeting women and just telling them to lose weight, essentially, and giving them like methods to lose weight and offering them solutions. And obviously those solutions rarely, if ever, work because if diets worked, we'd all just do one and then that would, that would be it, it'd be done, you know? So uh, it's basically a scam. The diet industry is is a huge, huge scam, but it's it's fueled, it's it's perpetuated by this diet culture, this this belief that thinness is good and that fatness is bad. As you're saying this, I remember when social media launched. I don't know if you remember this moment, but everything was infiltrated with 
eat this kale that's not yeah that's not cooked and it's massaged and have these brownies that are made of vegetables and go to this gym class at x amount of time and everyone was taking pictures of their food and you just felt so far behind in all of this new thing that were being bombarded with you day in day out and I kind of just think if you look through the generations especially even in like the 50s there was gyms that women would go into but they would literally just stand in this kind of like cylinder tube and these machines were just rubbed over them so they weren't actually like moving their bodies but they were like being kind of conditioned into a shape that was more the hourglass shape and it's all these like just mad messages of how they've just changed from generation to generation but they're all so ingrained in us even from our parents and you mentioned there about growing up in a household surrounded this and I think definitely calories was a big part I think during a certain generation like the 80s kind of calories came to the forefront and everyone spoke about calories the special k diet I remember being huge like all of these kind of like crazy moments that were marketed to us yeah the grapefruit diet Oh my God. Also, I have a allergic reaction to grapefruit. So I probably would have oh, really? ended up killing myself if I, if, I, <laughs> oh God. if I went on that. Okay, good job you did it. <laughs> good job I did it. But like also grapefruit stops so many medications. I mean, it's all these kind of things. If you're on a high blood pressure medication you take or a blood thinning Does it? medication. Yeah. Um, grapefruit stops them working. Oh, I didn't know that. It's mad. And like, if you're on, if you eat kale too much, it really messes with your thyroid if it's uncooked because the enzyme isn't broken down. It's like all of these like further health implications, like not even the aesthetic side that really affect one's health. And that I think is the most worrying to me because I remember loads of people going on the raw kale diet and then their thyroid is just being really messed up. And that's like the other side of it that, is not even the aesthetic part. And that is just where I think it's got so detrimental. And I do kind of feel like we're getting a bit of a backlash on this, but I don't know, do you feel that? How are you seeing the change in perception? Yeah, I realized that I completely left out of the um, definition of diet culture is that health is a huge part of this, that thinness equals health. That's a huge part of diet culture as well. The irony being that actually dieting really negatively impacts our health. There are really negative implications of dieting and intentional weight loss. And that's the crazy thing, you know, lose weight and get healthy. Whereas actually we could be compromising our health and health isn't obviously a size either. Like you can't see health. You can't look at someone and see someone's health like when I when I was in the you know the healthy BMI category I was super super ill really really ill because my body's just not supposed to be there that's just not where I'm supposed to sit I do feel like things are getting better in that respect and we're seeing like a lot of nutritional misinformation is being called out which is really good seems to be a lot more focus on intuitive eating and balance and like you can eat the brownies and you can eat this like those things are are not unhealthy like they're less nutritionally dense but you can nourish your body and at the same time enjoy those things and have fun and have fun yeah and not live a life that's like dominated by these rules these nutritional rules that is just no fun like it's just miserable i think a lot of that has changed like it was the wild wild west with that i think um when when a social media first started i remember that and i picked up so many weird rules around eating and what i thought i should be eating and panicking about this and that because this person's telling me that I have to cut out gluten. Gluten has never bloated me. I'm like, I've never felt any effect from gluten, but apparently it's the devil. So I have to cut that out. And then like dairy, dairy's causing all this inflammation in my body. So I've got to go gluten-free and dairy 
free and now I'm like what do I eat? So I, it, was, it was like, I'm scared, you know, this is like a new territory. But that's the whole term around orthorexia, which is a new era of eating disorders, I guess, you know, within the last 10 years, which has come around the term clean eating. And it's something that I think I was kind of in the moment of when I was when living in really? New York. Yeah, massively because, and then I obviously went off to study it. And I remember being in a lesson in a lecture, human nutrition, and we were all talking about the worry of iodine deficiency, you know, and how that works with your thyroid and how your thyroid works with your overall health. Then we were like, but the reason why we're here is because no one's having dairy and dairy is the number one source of iodine. And then, you know, I remember like understanding more about gluten and it being a protein and actually all the benefits that it can come if you're obviously not celiac and if you're not intolerant to it. We feel like we're trying to live this healthier life, but we're stripping out all the nutrients that are making us healthy. And so we kind of become into this like deficit of we're going to eat really clean, but then we're not going to have any nutrients in our body. And it becomes this like very morphed, worried area where the panic starts to arise because actually you do start feeling worse. And so it's this massive extreme where we're being told to eat a certain way to be healthy, but actually it's so destructive for so many of us. I think it was like this, this like one size fits all approach as well, right? To nutrition. Some people like need to not eat dairy or like obviously need to not eat gluten. Exactly. But this whole like blanket approach of like, this is bad for you and leave it. It's just sad. And it's just like another thing that women have to contend with when there's just far more navigate when there's just far more important things for us to be getting on with in our lives and achieving you know totally and do you know what when I was looking at what we were going to speak about in today's podcast just seeing what was in the news recently and what was being covered I read a really interesting article from Zach Efron um I don't know oh. if, you've, if you've seen this one but he opened up really recently um about the depression he faced regarding his body and when he was working out for, I say working out, but when he was preparing basically for the role for Baywatch, you know, he went to diuretics and such extreme workouts at 4am to basically achieve the perfect look, which has spiraled him into depression. And it's this thing I think where, I don't know if any men reach out to you at all, but it's something that we've seen a lot of Be Well with, especially with Gary Barlow talking a lot about his problems with his body image and, and bulimia. Men are really bad about relating to one's body and can feel a lot of shame around it but I don't know if there's something that many men reach out to you on because obviously you know you speak a lot about the importance of positive body image but I do think it's something that's now I'm seeing a lot more and I just kind of love to get your views on that like how you think it affects men yeah it, do you know what this is interesting because I actually have probably only spoken to like a handful literally one handful of men like in my dms about this i think my content is because it's my experience as a woman so it, it's it's kind of very focused around women but it is a really big problem for men and just as we think that an eating disorder has a certain look you know in it, which is anorexia like very thin teenage white girl we also only imagine it, yeah, as a girl, like we don't really see it as a man and, and eating disorders are on the increase for men as well. Things like Love Island hasn't helped, like it's really created a standard for, for men. It's actually, it's really sad that they don't have that outlet. They don't have as, as much space, I think. Now it's really, compared to how it used to be, it's a really open space for women to be able to talk about about this but far less so for men and that's what I loved you know when Freddie Flintoff did his documentary I don't know you saw if you saw it about yeah, bulimia yeah, yeah. 
and it was so and it was sad like I cried my eyes out I felt so sorry for him but because he was really in the thick of it as well which I didn't realize I thought he was gonna come I thought he was coming at it from a more recovered place but he was really in the thick of it and I thought it was so amazing that he was talking about it and being so honest about it because I do think there needs to be more more space for men to have to be able to be able to just have an open conversation about it yeah completely I just see such a drive now and I, it's really interesting actually that you mentioned about Love Island kind of being quite a big trigger for many of these men and I completely agree I think so much about how we view today the ideal body is now just really morphed and I say that and there's a few scenarios of why I say that because I think we've kind of we've come on a lot from the thin ideal of the 90s but now we're also trying to be other aesthetics. And in, in certain ways with plus size modeling, a few friends of mine that I've been on some shoots with have really struggled because they were a model, but then they couldn't stick to the, uh, the thin ideal of that model. But then they never kind of really made it into the plus size category. So they were kind of in this like in-between part and then they would overeat and overconsume, which really affected their mental health to try and reach this plus size model category. And it's kind of like, where's the middle part? Like, where's the just natural yeah. image of what that woman's body is like at that time? Why do we have to be one or the other? Right. And there's this really interesting term. Have you heard about body neutrality? Oh, wait, have, yeah. I said, have I said that right? Body yeah, neutrality. Yeah. Neutrality. Yeah. Which is basically like kind of in the middle. And it sometimes feels like we're shaming both ends but we're never really kind of meeting in the middle. It's something that I'm finding really interesting that I've just been reading about recently and also hearing lots of stories. Even last night I was at a party and one girl was like, you know, I'm not a model, but I was chosen to do this shoot and it was a new denim line. And I'm normally a size 10, maybe sometimes a size 12, depending on the brand. They gave me a size 10, I couldn't fit into it. They gave me a size 12, I couldn't fit into it. And they're like, we'll go and get you a 14. And she was like, but that isn't actually my size. And you're a new denim company. So obviously maybe you're getting your sizings wrong. And she just felt like I was just like this plonked in kind of meant to be this extra size model where I'm just kind of like, no, like this is my natural size. Why does nobody recognize just a normal size? Why do I have to be one extreme? And it's those conversations that I just think, God, why are we still not there yet? Why are we just not in the average woman? Our next partner has a product I and my best friend use literally every day. Although I always advocate food first, sometimes when our diet falls short due to stress or a lack of time, we need that extra support. And that's what I needed come September. I started taking AG1 by Athletic Greens, because like most people, I struggle to maintain a healthy, balanced diet when things are busy. In these times, I always like to have something as an insurance policy. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1 in water every day, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and even aging. There is no need for a million different pills and supplements now to look after your health. I've personally been using AG1 for the last four weeks. I have it every morning before my morning coffee. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply 
of immune supporting vitamin D3, K2, and a five free travel packs with your first purchase. That's five free travel packs with your first purchase. That's mad. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash LWBW. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash LWBW to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. In an ideal world, we'd just be in a place where everyone's body is their own body and that's that. And it's like, you plus size doesn't mean that you're, I mean, now I think it's plus size starts at 16, 18, but that we see everyone represented and we see all body sizes represented and not just super skinny or plus size, and which and plus size tends to be a, so I think, Sorry, it's, it's, it's very confusing, the term plus size, because there's no actual is, full it? definition. But I think in modelling terms, plus size is like a 12 to a 14. It's something to nuts. It's still Maybe something a nuts. 16. Yeah. And so it's just basically a woman who isn't super thin. And yeah, if, if we just like get rid of those terms and just show a variety of women. And exactly. e-commerce, e- like if you're selling clothes that go up to a size, like ideally, like you know, you go from a six or a four to a 30 then just show different women in between, but just don't, you know, it, it feels, and, and also the plus size women that we do see, they all tend to have the same shape, which is still thin face, thinner arms, thinner stomach, but then like bigger legs and bigger bum, you know, and big boobs. Like the Kardashians. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that's not realistic either for a lot of plus size women that's not realistic. They have big stomachs, you know? And we, like, when would you ever see in modeling a big stomach? You just don't, in plus size modeling, you just don't. They all have this, like, they still have this like curvy hourglass figure. Like you never see, you never see like what we traditionally call like an apple figure. You would never see that. And it's just like, I think consumers just don't care anymore to see an ideal shape. We just want to see a woman who we can relate to, look at, wearing these clothes like that's when I go to buy some something I want to see someone who's my you know around my size wearing it because that makes much more sense to me than seeing like a super skinny girl you know you always become more personalized to someone when you can actually relate to that and I think that's the biggest thing isn't it if it's relatable then you actually become more invested because you're like oh I understand that that makes sense to me or I relate to that that's how I feel that's how I see myself and you become more attached to wanting to buy that product because you resonate with it right and it's funny that advertising is only just catching on to this that that's what the consumer wants and i'm not saying we should eradicate all traditional model sizes you know i don't mean that at all i just feel like a much larger spectrum of bodies of shapes and sizes should be represented so that we all can feel like we are represented and we don't have to feel like outsiders in this industry that prioritizes really thin women it's a minefield and i think i do think like things are changing but some way to go for sure but you know what where i feel like it's changing just to more an extreme version so you got the had the fashion kind of thin ideal and then it kind of flipped into this like fitness culture into everyone being i'm strong but not skinny and this kind of what was meant to be an empowerment movement but for me personally i just saw it more as a shift in becoming more addicted to a different type of body 
And I say this because now I feel like we're starting to see it and people to be more open, but to feel more pressured to be this like strong physique, which still takes a lot of time and pressure and dedication to achieve. But Camelia Cabello, you know, opened up recently about the fitness culture. And, and she actually said the pressure to look a certain way is no longer about being slim. Instead, social media trends and the normalization of excessive fitness habits means we're now expected to be the healthiest, curviest in the right places and the happiest versions of ourselves at all times. And I'm like, it's true. Now I kind of look on and I look at magazines like Women's Health on these covers and even the digital editor has spoken about her relationship with an eating disorder, which was very similar to this culture. And I just kind of think, are we just now pushing it into a different morphed culture? It's still quite similar, but it's now a different ideal. 100%. It's just another standard. It's just shifted the standard from the thin ideal to the fit ideal. It's another standard that arguably is just as unattainable as being thin. You know, because a lot of women don't have the resources or the time or the capacity to be in the gym all the time and to work on this strong and fit body. And actually fit as well, like people can be fit without having the typical fit body. 100%. So it's just, it's diet culture dressed up in different clothing. And I think that's what diet culture is really good at is, you know, obviously people started to become fatigued with thinness and with the glorification of thinness. So it's shifted to well, now it's about health and being fit and being strong. And it's like, it's literally just created another standard that we can't live up to. Whereas at the end of the day, like what it should be is everyone being their own body shape and their own body size, whatever they were born with, because we are all born with different genetics and DNA. And we're all supposed to look completely different. And a lot of us aren't supposed to look like the thin ideal or the fit ideal. We're supposed to just look like us. And actually being fit and being healthy for most of us, I would imagine, is having an exercise regime that like fits into our lifestyles and isn't grueling and, you know, just works whenever it can do and, and works well with our mental health. And as long as we're focusing on aesthetics and trying to achieve an aesthetic goal, it's not health, it's not real health. It's so true. And don't get me wrong, I love fitness. You know, I love playing tennis. It gives me loads of energy and I and I love running. And that's something that, you know, I love when I do I go to a new city and I explore it because I can put my trainers and it's free and I can just go and see what sites are. But it's like, when did we take the fun out of fitness? And make it into this goal orientated thing of I have to be able to get this ab visible or like tone, I'm doing that in air quotes, like tone my arms or tone my legs when actually that's not what fitness is about. It's really not. I guess that's not supposed to be what it's about. It's supposed to be something that supports our physical and mental health and makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. And yeah, it's sad that we're in this place now. I don't know if you follow Tally Rye. She talks about intuitive fitness and it's fantastic. And it's just about moving your body in whichever way feels right for you and feels good for you and really supports your life. And yeah, supports your mental and, and physical health. And I think that's really important. It's like moving your body so it feels good. It's really bad what I used to do. I would go to like, I did a, I did a boot camp um, like a week away at boot camp where you eat like a thousand calories, I think, and just like literally kill yourself with exercise. Absolutely kill yourself. I was broken. Calories mean nothing. Right, right. I mean, I was desperate. I was so hungry. I was a shell of myself at the end of it. Obviously I'd lost weight. How could I not? It was painful. And then I would just absolutely kill myself doing circuit classes at the gym and 
and looking back, back at it, it feels like traumatic. I just hated it so much. And then now it's quite nice because it's real. I realize like I love boxing. I love boxing and I love spinning. I can't do jogging, running. I, I find it too boring mentally. It just drives me mad. I can't do it. You know, it's not stimulating enough for me. And it's like when you find stuff that you actually you really like and that enriches your life rather than something that like makes you feel I just can't do this. You know, this is so painful. It's quite cool when you unlock that. Yeah, well, you kind of gain back the power. And I think that is so much around, I think, referencing diet culture or I would say anything to do with, like, you know, your exercise regime. If something doesn't give you life and lights you up and makes you happy, then kind of question that because actually the only thing you should be doing is for yourself because exercise and movement can make you feel so happy and so on top of life and even, you know, it's great to do with your friends. I love, like, playing tennis against my friends. It's like a social thing I get to do. It's when I get to see people. But if you're kind of just like slogging yourself out on a treadmill where you're like, oh, three more miles to go. It's like, why? Like, try and question that. Like, what is it that is actually you're gaining from it? I think that's a really big thing. And that's the thing. And for what? I think why in this whole journey and in, in everything we've been talking about is one of the most important questions that you can ask yourself. And at the end of the day, so slogging it out at, at the gym and controlling our diet in order to look a certain way. I really am not trying to disparage anyone who wants to do that because we have full body autonomy and whatever you want to do, whatever works best for you, that's it. There is no judgment. But it's so important to ask yourself why, because for a lot of us, like looking a certain way doesn't actually bring true contentment and true happiness. And this is backed up by science as well. Like what really fulfills and enriches our lives is connection and the social relationships that we create and maintain and our morals and our values. And that's what brings happiness to our lives rather than looking a certain way. I always love the quote, like it's done the rounds now, it's been everywhere, but the quote that says, no one's gonna stand up at your funeral and say she had a great thigh gap and a small waist. And it's so true, like how you look is never gonna be your legacy. Like that's not the mark that you're going to leave on the world. So why do we spend such an inordinate amount of time focused on how we look when really we're going so far away from what truly, really actually matters to us as humans? It's quite sad. That brings me on to a kind of a case scenario question, which we kind of touched on a bit earlier, but just for anyone who's kind of listening to this and feeling really inspired, but still wakes up and maybe you see something on the news where you're like, oh, okay, another reference to the idealistic image or a specific thing that you find quite triggering. Like in that moment, how do you overcome that? I actually think, God, I sound like a broken record with like self-compassion, but I really do believe that that underpins so much of it and realising that what always helps me as well with seeing this stuff. And if I'm around someone that is really focused on their body and being thin and sort of obsessing over other people that are thin, that can initially trigger me and make me feel mm. like I've been burst out of my bubble and like, oh God, I suddenly feel self-conscious. But I come back to like, who's the healthy one though? Like what's actually healthy here? And that will normally come down to, well, I have a now healthy relationship with food healthy-ish because you know it's difficult to say you know what's like amazing like brilliant relation you know but a fairly healthy relationship with food and exercise and my body and 
I can hold on to that and know that I'm the healthy one and that's what's healthy and I'm staying strong in that and I'm doing what's right for me and my mental health and I can't go down that path again because I know that it doesn't lead to anywhere good and I know it's going to take away from my health and it's going to, it's going to be detrimental to my health. So I think that's a really good thing to ask yourself, like what's the healthy option here and what is diet culture? What's wrapped up in diet culture? And just trying just again, asking like being curious and just trying to get to the bottom of it. And where is this coming from? And who does this benefit as well? With a lot of stuff that we see, a lot of the things that we see as well, we see a lot of ads, you know, through influencers and influencers that we might really like and follow and respect. And then we see them promoting something that, you know, maybe a weight loss product and we think, oh my God, well then maybe I should be doing like, you know, it can, yeah. it can give you a, like a moment of self doubt, but remember at the end of the day that that is, it's profit is what is behind that. Um, so yeah, get to like the root of it, I think, like get to the like, the bones of like, what is this about? I think that's such a important moment just to consider with yourself is just noticing those triggers is really, really important rather than just kind of seeing it and then going, oh, it's fine. I feel that way. Kind of actually like allowing yourself to accept that's how you feel and explore that right. more why. And, you know, like surrounding yourself then with more positive messages such as you know your book which we have spoke about briefly but I do really just kind of want to touch upon it before we go which is you were not a before picture love that title and you you know the synopsis is a book to help you finally make peace with your body for good kind of having these reference check-ins you know following people that you've mentioned today that really helped you in your journey and listening to your podcast or these type of episodes and kind of allowing yourself to also not be too pulled into that moment and trying to find tools and tricks like this to kind of enhance the positive sides of, of kind of bringing you out of that thought process. For sure. And the brilliant thing is about now in this day and age is we are lucky compared to the older generations. We're lucky with what we have access to. We have access to so many resources and positive messaging and we have access to an alternative narrative. Our only path is follow thinness at all costs. And if you don't, you're a failure, right? With this alternative narrative now, we have access to this and resources and we can follow and learn from so many amazing people who do work in this space. There are so many incredible body image experts and educators. Give me three, give me top three. Top three resources, like Um, podcasts, social media. So beauty underscore redefined on Instagram is an amazing follow. Two sisters, Lindsay and Lexi Kite, who have got PhDs in body image. Um, They've got a book as well. They're fantastic. Nadia Craddock, she's a body image educator, very, very useful. There are so many people, I feel like I can't even narrow it down. Your podcast? Yeah, well, I could do a shameless plug, like my book, <laughs> I've, I put I put a lot, like I did a ton, a ton of research on that and like tried to really delve into like, not just like, we should feel better about our bodies, because for me, that's not helpful. I want to get to the root of why I felt like that in the first place, why I felt like thinness was this thing that I had to achieve and learning that it's not innate. And that was really powerful for me as well. Like learning that it's not innate, which is illustrated by in different cultures across the world, fatness is celebrated and embraced. So it's not an innate thing. Women aren't just born wanting to be thin and people aren't born just attracted to thin people. Like that's just not, it's just not the case. So yeah, yeah, I think a lot, 
accessing these resources and getting to grips with diet culture and what it is. I think if you want to go on this journey of feeling better in your own skin and reaching a place of body neutrality, I think is a really good place to start with understanding how it happened in the first place, why we are where we are and learning some tools for how to challenge how we feel now, challenge and get ourselves to a better place. That's why I really wanted your third one to be a resource from you because I said to you before you came on, I was overwhelmed by just seeing the amount of reviews where people have just saying it's changed my life. Like one that really stuck in my head was a woman laying on her beach and looking at two of her younger children and her eyes were just watering where she just felt the penny drop in that moment. And she started to really understand how she felt. And I just think, gosh, how amazing, like really getting to the crux and the bolts and the deeper kind of understanding. And I think that is something that you've really put across in this book and you should be so incredibly proud because you've not just empowered yourself but you're empowering so many women and men maybe hopefully um (laughs) through this book and that's something that is just so empowering and you should be so proud of yourself that you've actually done that and it's resonated because you can write a book but it doesn't mean it's going to resonate with everyone but it seems to have completely taken everyone by storm so like congratulations on doing that Oh, thank, thank you. That's so nice to hear. I was you know, so scared about the reaction. And obviously you pour everything into it. And I was told to stay away from Amazon reviews because, you know, sometimes they can be brutal. So I did for ages. And then my husband was like, have you actually looked? Because they're really good. Amazing. I was like, oh, wow, that's great. So yeah, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm glad that it seems to have helped a lot of understanding, I yeah. think. And also, you know, I really didn't want it to be like a fluffy self-help book. We also need to tackle like uncomfortable stuff like the anti-fat bias that we have in this world, like how deeply fat phobic and anti-fat that, you know, this world is. And we have to tackle that as well, because if we don't, then we don't free anyone of body standards and beauty standards. We're all still locked in it. So yeah, it was important and it feels so surreal. It's yeah, it's cool. <laughs> Isn't it a Sunday Times bestseller? It is, yes, it is. It was twice on the list, which I was very, very pleased about. It's actually just launched in the States, so I'm going to New York next week to, yeah, go and see it in the wild out there. So I'm really, really excited about that. Oh my gosh, that's my old home. So if you need any recommendations, I'll send them your way. Oh my God, please. Yes, please do. Yeah, I I always feel so lost when I go there because it's like, (laughs) it's so big. I'm like, I don't know where to go. So yes, please. Go to Chelsea Market and get the lobster. I mean, I'm saying it's 20 (gasps) bucks. It used to be, this is like 10 years ago. So inflation, it might have gone up. But you can go and get a lobster with some chips and it's right below the high line but it's like the most delicious fresh lobster that's cooked and you can just go and sit on the high line and look at all the views and it's just like such a gorgeous way to kind of take a New York on the high line with just like this fresh lobster from Maine in your hands that's just like 15 20 bucks but either you pay like a hundred restaurant for that okay I'm on it that's like my first stop that sounds so good so lastly before you go the question that I always leave on this podcast is Alex what does live well be well mean to you I think the crux of this is finding out what works for you what feels good for you and living your life how you want to live it without interference from external sources or you know, people telling you that you need to look a certain way or live a certain way and just working out like, actually, this is my life and I want to live it how I want to live it and what works best for me. And I think that's very important in a world that's screaming at us to be different and do better and 
and improve ourselves and fix ourselves and just genuinely being ourselves that's so cringe to say I was so lame but I feel like it's so important because like I said we're in a world that tells us to be anything but ourselves I think being yeah. ourselves and leaning into that and being proud of that is is really cool yeah I think that's such a fantastic way to end the podcast I don't want to say anything oh, else oh. apart from <laughs> apart from where can people follow you because I think that's really important and people are now going to be eager to know Oh yeah, so I'm on Instagram at alexlight underscore LDN, which stands for London Not Licensed Dietitian Nutritionist, which often causes a bit of confusion. That, so is not that. Even that. A term? I don't even. I don't. Term. I think in it's the not. states. I think um, is it in the states. I don't. Well, not in England because you're either no. British Dietetic Association or the Association of Nutrition. Right. Yeah. So that, yeah, I think I How think odd. maybe it's in the states, but anyway, that often causes confusion. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> not me, unfortunately. Uh, so yeah, so that I'm there on Instagram. Yeah. Amazing, Alex. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been such an enlightening oh. and fantastic conversation. So really grateful that you came on and shared this I've with everyone. Love chatting to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Live Well, Be Well. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please can I ask one huge favour, if you could subscribe, share and rate this podcast. It would mean an immense amount to me and all the fantastic guests who come on to share their expertise and knowledge with us. It will keep this podcast growing and it will allow us to continue making episodes. Until next week, I hope you all live well and be well. Before you go, I have something new to tell you about. There's brand new bonus content waiting for you with every new guest I speak to. These are exclusively for my inner circle of Apple subscribers. To listen now, head to the Live Well, Be Well show page on Apple Podcasts, where you can activate your free trial and you can enjoy the podcast without adverts.